welcome to another episode of the Dental Billing Support Podcast. My name is David Clay. I've got my co-host Josh Smith. Yeah, how's everybody doing? Uh, our, our guest today is David Harris of Prosperident uh, Dental Embezzlement Expert. Um, D- David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. Uh, David, you and I spoke, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. Uh, we had a long conversation. I think we could talk for days about this topic of yours, but um, I know just a little bit background on you. I know you kind of got started accidentally in the dental field. Um, can you expand and let our listeners know about that? <laughs> sure. I, um, I, I, in 1989, I'd left my job. I was doing some investigation work for a bank and I got a call from a guy I'd been in high school with who was a dentist. And he said, I think my front desk person's stealing and I don't have anyone else to call. <laughs> so, uh, I, I went and helped him and, uh, helped, helped him get rid of the person who was stealing from him. And I, I walked away from the experience thinking that was interesting, but didn't, uh, didn't really go any further with it. And then two weeks later, um, I was going into my own dentist's office for an appointment. And I was about to go in his front door and I looked through the glass and the same woman that we fired at the other practice two weeks ago was sitting at his front desk. Um, and that's really when I got started. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, and then a uh, local supply rep got word that that I was uh, doing investigation and pretty soon I had a couple more calls and I was in business. Talk about kind of, as you know, you have a business. So is it kind of an epidemic in the dental industry that dentists are relying on the front desk a little bit too much? Um, I'm not sure they have a choice. And, uh, you know, I've had a few dentists over the years ask me if there's any way to absolutely prevent embezzlement in their practice. And I say, actually, it's real easy. Put down your handpiece, go out and lock the door. (laughs) Assuming you're not prepared to go quite that far, then dentistry depends on delegation. And you're always going to have to offload some functions clinically and some functions administratively. And and that administrative delegation is one of the things that makes you vulnerable. A lot of dentists struggle with the, the difference between delegation and abdication. Delegation meaning that you give a job to somebody, but they have some accountability back to you. And abdication means that you give a job to somebody and then totally forget about it. And uh, certainly when it comes to the administrative part of their practice, a lot of dentists uh, really seek out that abdication concept and, and we all need to recognize the dangers. So David, you, you're an accountant as well. Is that correct? Uh, I, I am a CPA, although I, I don't really think of myself as an accountant. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not in the accounting business. I don't do uh, tax returns or anything like that. Our, our team at Prosperity really does only two things. We investigate when people have suspicions and we help dentists set up their systems in a way that makes them as embezzlement resistant as, as you can. Right. It, it, it seems like that, that, that background that you had, it obviously led to you finding uh, the differences in the cash flow and whatnot and actually discovering that embezzlement in 1989. What main forms are you seeing when it comes to embezzlement and kind of, you know, how are either office managers or different office staff? If you could just kind of embellish on that a little bit, is it always just the office manager? Is it the office staff? And, you know, what are the different forms of embezzlement you see? Um, It it could ultimately be anybody in the practice and the, the, the dominant pattern is somebody at the front desk and it could be an office manager. It could be 
uh, receptionist or, or uh, somebody in a coordinator role like, like financial coordinator or treatment coordinator. But m- most, most stealing happens at the front desk. When people steal in the clinical area, it, it tends to take a different form. Uh, one of our clients where we're doing an investigation a couple of weeks ago discovered that his lab manager was taking things from the office and selling them on eBay. Wow. So not even the, the physical act of taking money or somehow uh, depositing checks in their own account, but taking of personal property in a sense. Well, if somebody wants to steal, Josh, what they're going to do is they're going to look for opportunity. So, you know, what is available to me? And if I work at the front desk, I have a different set of opportunities than if I work in the clinical area. But stealing starts based on a need. And sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's emotional. But um, people, people who steal have a reason to steal. And as I say, then they look around and find what access they have and make it work for them. Yeah, it kind of takes me to a new question. Uh, has technology over the years um, led to embezzlement being easier or, or harder? It's definitely made it easier. The first investigation I ever did was, again, 1989, and this was before most practices were computerized. So in those days, what you were looking at is, is what uh, we call pegboard, um, you know, the old manual accounting system that, that predated computers. And embezzlement certainly happened in pegboard offices but relative to what we see now you know even even adjusting for inflation the dollar amounts were modest in those days a a thirty thousand dollar embezzlement was a big deal Um, now the average that we see is about a hundred thousand and we see some that are in the million dollar plus range each year a hundred thousand dollars i mean that that's 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 crazy to me to even to even fathom how somebody can get away with it. Um, are CPAs finding this in the practice, or um, are they, or, or is the perpetrator deleting things out of the software to where the accountant can't find it? Um, CPAs find very little of the embezzlement that's discovered. The, the American Dental Association did this study a decade ago, and one of the things they did in this study was they asked embezzlement victims what prompted discovery. And the answer my accountant found it came out 4% of the time. <laughs> so it's, it's a really minor factor. And um, forgive me for taking you probably a little deeper into accounting than you really want to be. But there's a big difference between dentistry and most other businesses in the sense that most businesses use their accounting software as their point of sale software. Mm-hmm. And in dentistry, they're different, but it, it gets worse than that because most dentists use what's called the cash method of accounting. So that means that their CPA can do all their work from the bank account. They don't need to look once at the practice management software. So you have these two different pieces to the accounting of a practice, but there's nobody who really even looks at both of them. There's no integration between them whatsoever. So most accountants work, as I say, from, from practice bank accounts and they consider deposits to be revenue and money going out to be expenses. And then they just have to figure out what kind of expenses those are. It it sort of makes for lazy accounting, but it also means that the accountants have no realistic possibility of seeing most stealing because most of it is concealed inside a doctor's practice management software. 
And in, in regards to that, are, are, do you see that uh, procedures are being deleted, procedures are never being entered, uh, and they're just maybe if it's a cash-paying patient, um, maybe, maybe they just come in and pay in cash and the person never puts that visit into the software? Is that? Uh, Davey, we do not comment publicly on methodologies ever. Okay. Um, so, so I won't answer your question. Um, what I will say is that these are pretty creative. Uh, they use a lot of different techniques and a lot of methodologies. You know, when I, when I talk to dentists about embezzlement in their practices, inevitably what's in their mind is the theft of cash. And don't take me out of context here. Thieves love to steal cash, but in 2019, cash is not the biggest thing that's stolen. It's checks and credit card payments and ACH deposits. ACH means automated clearinghouse, so that's the money that automatically arrives in somebody's bank account. Yeah, more and more dentists are going that route, ACH. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, Josh, one of the myths out there is that they think that once they've done that, they're safe. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's impossible to tamper with that, and it certainly is not. Again, I'm not gonna, um, for the benefit of any, any embezzlers or would-be embezzlers who are tuning in, I'm not gonna tell them how to do it. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we don't have a whole lot of embezzlers listening to the podcast. <laughs> it, it can certainly be done. So I guess, you know, when it comes down to hiring or, you know, what are, do you have just any um, quick precautions that certain dentists out there can take or, or business owners uh, running dental practices that can take to, I don't know, maybe make sure this doesn't happen in their own practice? Oh, no. shut the front door? Um, uh, there are all kinds of things that can be done. And they range from hiring properly because most dentists do a terrible job of background checking people before they decide to hire them. Um, it can be something as basic as the reports that the doctor looks at at the end of the day and the end of the month should be one that he or she prints themselves. In other words, the act of allowing somebody else to print reports for you gives the person printing them a lot of control over what's in those reports. So you do that yourself. I think checking back with uh, previous employers too, because I, I think we have talked to before about how there are certain people in the world that are going from state to state. Once they get caught, they're going to another state, um, changing the name, um, and then continuing to work in the dental field. Davey, most times they don't have to go to another state. They can go across the street and get hired. Um, all somebody has to say, you know, if let, let's, let's say that I got fired three weeks ago by a dentist and now I'm applying at your practice. All I have to say to you in most cases is please don't contact my current boss because she doesn't know I'm leaving, even though I was really fired three weeks ago. And most dentists who, who tend to take what people say at face value will just nod and say, okay. The response I would like a dentist to give if, if somebody says that to them is, I understand completely. I mean, I never want to get you in trouble with your current employer, but I'm going to let you know that we don't hire anybody without speaking with their most recent employer. But in order not to get you into trouble, we can postpone that till the end of our process. Uh, and if I had been fired three weeks ago and somebody said that to me, I'm going to realize I'm never going to get this job and I'll, I'll separate myself from the hiring process fairly quickly. So former employers, criminal records check. In 2019, I really want to look at somebody's social media activity a little bit before I decide to hire them. Um, I want to drug test them. I 
certainly want to check their photo ID, which is another step that often gets missed. And let's face it, one of the easiest ways for me to hide a, a, an unsavory background is to pretend that I'm my sibling. Yeah, I mean, what you just said, that, that's something that, you know, dentists shouldn't take lightly uh, when it comes to hiring. That's basically what happened in that uh, example you gave us from 1989. I mean, that office manager just went basically across the street, right? That's right. I mean, the, 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 two, the two practices are maybe a mile apart. <laughs> that's incredible. Do, do, you, do you see this more, do you see investment more in, in smaller practices or large practices or even in DSOs? You see it in all those places. And embezzlement is driven far more by the embezzler than the situation. Uh, when I speak to live audiences, a lot of times, you know, somebody will, will have the, the body language and, and facial expression in my audience that says, I believe I'm exempt. And, you know, sometimes I'll ask them why. They'll say, well, I practice in a small town and really embezzlement is a big city problem or I'm in a small practice or I'm in a big practice or I'm in a DSO. I mean, they'll give, they'll give something situational. I can tell you categorically that embezzlers do not think at all about the situation. They think about whatever deficit they're trying to address by stealing. And sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's emotional, but whatever it is, that's what's pushing them. And the rest is just details. It's the question of how it happens. So statistically, it's a, it's a very random event. There's no, there's no particular pattern to who gets struck. The only thing I will say is if you've been embezzled once, the chance that you will be victimized again by somebody else is actually higher. And really what that tells me is that a lot of people don't learn the, the right lessons from, from their experience of being embezzled. Yeah, I think it's important to have podcasts, you know, and basically what Prosperity does for reasons is just like what you just said. Um, it happens to somebody once and they're more inclined to have it happen to them again. You would, you would think, you know, the whole damn if I do it once, you know, and damn if I do it twice type, uh, type comment that, that has been made before in the past that people would learn from those mistakes. But, you know, you don't. And that kind of takes me to a point you mentioned earlier that a lot of times there's one person in the office that's running the reports and in charge of the financials that there needs to be more than one person and more eyes on it. Um, and we tell dentists all the time across the United States, the same thing, understand your reports and how to run them. You know, you need to know what's coming into your office and what deficits you might be facing. So I'm glad that you actually brought that up. Um, I do want to hit on that hundred thousand dollars as, as you know, I want to go back to that point that you made that that is an average amount getting embezzled at, you know, in certain practices, is that embezzled over a, a long period of time in short amounts or small amounts? Or is that, you know, a lot of times just a big bulk, um, you know, in a sense payout for the embezzler. The typical embezzler takes between two and 4% of collections. And on average, they get away with it for a couple of years. Okay. Um, and two to 4% of collections, you know, it sometimes doesn't sound like a whole lot of money. Um, but when you, when you look at the basic economics of a practice, you know, if you, if you start with revenue at 100%, then, you know, most dentists lose 50, 60, 70% to overhead. They're left with somewhere between 30 and 50%. And 4% of revenue looms pretty large when compared against the 30% that a doctor's taking home. Yes, it does. 
Um, and that really can make the difference for a lot of practitioners between, you know, getting ahead and saving for retirement or paying down their debt or, or making some kind of financial progress versus treading water or falling behind. David, I have a kind of a random uh, question. Do, do you see this with associates? Um, is, is your question, Davey, do associates embezzle from practices they work in? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, we, we do see that. Um, what's, what's probably more common is when you have a, a group ownership situation. So you have a couple of owners of a practice and one is stealing from the other. Um, one of the f most bizarre phone calls I ever got in my life came from an orthodontist and what he said to me was I practice with another orthodontist and we have this unwritten rule between us that when patients pay in cash we just put the money in our pockets and we don't tell the IRS but the reason I'm calling you David he continued was because I think that my partner is stealing more than I am <laughs> I really didn't know exactly what to say to that. Yeah, that's, that's, it's pretty easy to be speechless after that comment. To tell you how that story ended, he was right. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we did an investigation and confirmed it. And I will say that the report that we issued in that case was one of the most artistic that we've ever written. Um, I just want to see somebody's face at the front desk when you walk in the door and you tell them what you do for a living. Um, I don't ever do that. We... Um, all of our work now is, is done through the cloud. So we're able to do an investigation that is a hundred percent stealthy. We've got, we've got about 25 team members. They're scattered across the continent, but all of our work is done virtually. So we're able to investigate without ever setting foot in a practice typically and, and leaving no trace whatsoever. Yeah, David, I think it's safe to say it's invaluable what you do. What's the best way for, um, dentist or really even business owners uh, to get in touch with you. Um, and I'll clarify because we only work with, with dentistry. We don't help any other group. Um, they can, they can call us. Uh, they can find us on the web. Uh, they can find us on Facebook or LinkedIn or any of those places. Um, our web address is easy to find. It's www.dentalembezzlement.com. And the only trick in there is spelling embezzlement correctly. Um, or they can, they can call us at our toll-free number, uh, which is 888-398-2327. Um, those are probably the best ways to reach us. Don't you have some sort of a – you have an assessment, I believe, right? We do. Uh, we have something called an embezzlement risk assessment questionnaire, and it's a 40-question questionnaire that people take online. I'd expect it to take about 15 minutes for a dentist to complete. And at the end, that by email, they'll get a score and some interpretation of what that score means. Um, we normally charge $139 for the assessment, but um, one, one thing I had agreed to do was to make a, a special offer to your audience where they can have it until the end of July at no charge. Great. Do you have a promo code for that? Um, no, but what I, what I'll do is I'll give you a um, uh, I'll I'll give you a URL after okay. we're done here, and if you can include it in the in the show notes, I then can people that. can can access that until July thirty first. Great. 
Well, David, um, I appreciate your time. I mean, I've, I've learned a lot just uh, over over the years in talking to you and, and, and watching you um, and knowing what you guys do for a living. Um, it's, it's crazy that it's needed, but it is needed. Um, and you do great work. And, Thank you very uh, much. And, and dentists need to realize that they can be um, part of those figures if they're not paying attention or um, if, if they think that they are, even if they, even if they have a slight inkling that they are, they need to reach out to you. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, by the time you get absolutely convinced that you're being stolen from, there's probably a fair amount of money that's fallen through the hole in your pocket. Right. And you've developed a, 15 minute assessment. I think people can take 15 minutes out of their life to, uh, to make sure that they don't you know, go through even the monetary embezzlement, but you also mentioned the emotional. And I think that's important uh, that you mentioned that uh, in this podcast. All right, David, I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Sounds good. Thank Thanks, you. David.